Welcome to the Humanity Matters broadcast. I'm Dr. Philip Fletcher, your host, where we discuss and reflect on theology, philosophy, nonprofit leadership, and social justice. This is the podcast where we wrestle with the important question, what does it mean to be human? Hey, what's going on, everybody? Dr. Philip Fletcher and the following is a keynote address I gave at the University of Central Arkansas. It's called Perspectives on Poverty. So take a listen, learn, give a comment, and look forward to hearing from you guys. And now a word from our sponsor. How y'all doing today? Good. All righty. Uh, thank you, uh, Leslie, for inviting me to uh, speak today, and thank you for uh, all of you that are here to uh, learn from one another, to uh, hopefully collaborate with one another as, um, as we deal with specifically what I want to talk to you today about uh, poverty and perspectives on uh, poverty. So I was glad to get this topic. It is a, a passion of my life. It is uh, my purpose for being here uh, in Conway. I am a transplant, uh, born in Kentucky, uh, raised in California. Uh, me and my family moved here in 2007. I was an officer in the United States Army, moved here to be a chaplain, finished seminary, did that, but uh, God had a different plan, and we ended up starting a nonprofit called City of Hope Outreach uh, that serves low-income communities here in Conway. Our mission is to promote holistic community renewal in under-resourced areas through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we focus on education and housing and community uh, relationships. And one of the things that I found in uh, working in this work over the last eight years is that it is not done in isolation. In order to address poverty in a holistic manner, uh, not only do you have to deal with the whole man or the whole woman or the whole child and the whole community, you have to deal with everything that is involved within that community, child, man, or woman. Uh, we don't live isolated lives. We don't live uh, individualistically. As much as we think we do, uh, we are completely related. We are interconnected. And so uh, one of the things in growing up in California, I had the opportunity to visit uh, many wonderful scenic areas. You got beaches and you got the redwoods and all those great things. But one of my neighboring states was Arizona. And uh, as a young boy, we would take trips to see the Grand Canyon. So if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, uh, then you know it's an awesome spectacle of nature. As you stand above it and look at it, you're able to see the vastness uh, of the canyon. You're able to see the reds and the browns. But you have opportunity to go out and look over it. You also have opportunity to walk down it. You have opportunities to take mule rides and able to, to see again from a different perspective of what the Grand Canyon looks like. And so looking at the Grand Canyon from above and looking at the Grand Canyon from within gives you a different appreciation for uh, this awesome spectacle of, of nature. And so perspective or how one views an object or a situation can make all the difference in how solutions are developed. Everybody in here has a perspective on poverty. Perspective aids the artist who views her work from a different vantage point to clarify depth. Perspective can aid a coach on the football field 
as he asked his quarterback, hey, what is the defense presenting to us? Because what the coach sees on the sidelines and what the quarterback sees on the field can be two totally different things. But as those two collaborate together, they're able to come up with a plan in order to, to win. And so Perspective offers us nonprofit practitioners, academicians, private citizens, the opportunity to engage with greater depth, vibrancy, and innovation to develop solutions and engage in social justice, specifically poverty. And so this morning, I want us to sit around a table. We're all sitting around these tables here and link arms as equitable partners to think through poverty from the perspective of the theological, the nonprofit, government, academic institutions, and most importantly, the perspective of the poor, because their perspective is the most important of all, because they're in it, and they live it more than anybody else. And so any discussion on poverty, and for that matter, any discussion on concerns which face the welfare of human beings, I believe, must have a perspective in which humanity is seen as worthy and dignified, all humanity. Humanity has a dynamic and powerful origin in which the masses, regardless of our nationality, regardless of our ethnicity, our economic situation, our gender, we possess a very specific quality and dynamic character which is powerfully woven in all of us. The dignity which has been given to us, I believe, is based on the goodness and righteousness of a good and, and perfect God. And so we are crowned with royalty and strength. Look at each other for a moment. Just look at your neighbor. Your neighbor is crowned with royalty and strength. You're magnificent. You're powerful. You're beautiful. And that is because you're a reflection of a powerful, creative, infinite, and loving God. And so our dignity is, is sacred. And so while men and women and systems and institutions throughout history have sought to diminish that dignity, in the lives of men and women, I assert to you the sacred dignity present with all humanity has an origin which transcends the finite efforts of ignorance. And so the sacred dignity in human beings distinguishes us from the rest of the visible and invisible creation. This doesn't diminish care for animals and care for trees and oceans, but it gives us a proper perspective that humans matter. Listen to that. Humans matter. And so justice considers as a priority justice to affirm the dignity and worth that's already present in each and every one of us. So once again, look at your, your neighbor. Look at your neighbor again. And look past their blue eyes. Look past their brown eyes. Look past their size, whether they have a lot of hair or no hair. <laughs> and look and see that beyond these beautiful distinctions that God has given us, that there is a greater and more powerful dignity that rests in all of us. And that unites each and every one of us. So Archbishop Desmond Tutu appropriated a concept in South Africa called Ubuntu. Everybody say Ubuntu. Say it again, Ubuntu. And that concept is this, is that it's a concept that one human being should demonstrate the sacredness of humanity to another. Why? There is this belief 
of a universal thread which connects all of us. And so said another way, I cannot be who I can be unless you're going to be who you're going to be. And so I cannot be fully who am I going to be if the poor are not going to be who they fully need to be. It is the interrelatedness of life. What happens to the poor affects everyone in here. And what happens to us affects the poor. It is the interrelatedness of life. It is Ubuntu. It is the fact that all of us possess the sacred human dignity given to us by God. And so my ability and your ability to flourish economically, academically, religiously, socially, has a great impact on men and women who live in this city, who are poor, who are orphaned, who are in domestic abuse situations. It is the interrelatedness of life. And so it's important for those who lead from a theological perspective to think and produce statements which affirm the sacredness of mankind. And that helps us as nonprofit leaders, as academicians, those who are in government, and those who are poor. We possess the sacred dignity which offers the opportunity to participate in a human and divine collaboration to see the poor as they truly are human. Not statistics, not objects, but when they walk through that door, that is a human being who possesses the same dignity and worth as you. Which leads to the next perspective as we go around this table is of the nonprofit perspective. So I love nonprofits. Who loves nonprofits here? Yes? Started two of them, you know, and I help people start them. And uh, nonprofits represent one of the best examples of human compassion coming together through intentionality or circumstance to address a particular social need. Nonprofits come together with intentionality or through circumstance to address a particular social need. And so in the city of Conway, UCA has the privilege to collaborate with and support a variety of nonprofit organizations. Coho, Sofu Cafe, Boys and Girls Club, Bethlehem House, the Women's Abuse Shelter, on and on and on and on and on and on and on. You have the opportunity to bring about and support compassion, function as living extensions of love, nonprofit leaders. So nonprofit leaders continually are on the Jericho Road. You know that? Nonprofit leaders are continually on the Jericho Road finding individuals who have been the victims of some type of oppression, some type of injustice. And nonprofit leaders take whatever resources they have to bind up the wounds of those who are hurting and those who are harmed. And so we're populated with a variety of volunteers. We look in the face of the hungry. You look and smell the aroma of the man who has been homeless, who has had no shower for multiple days. You have heard the cries and outbursts of children who are in need of the simple touch and experience of being loved. And so nonprofit organizations are similar to religious institutions because you say you will not suffer alone. That's what you tell people that are hurting. You will not suffer 
alone. You will not be left out here on this dangerous path to suffer the dehumanization which can lead to emotional, psychological, and sometimes physical death. Nonprofits, you do a great work. It's not always financially rewarding. Many times it is stressful, but know that you are doing a compassionate work that says you will not suffer alone. That is the very meaning of the word compassion, to join with someone in their suffering. So I celebrate you. So these organizations, you leverage human and financial resources to enter in to the suffering of the poor powerfully, demonstrating that poverty will not have the final say over the sacred dignity of humanity. Remember that. You are saying in your actions that poverty will not have the final say in the sacredness of our humanity and dignity. And so this event today represents a critical resource opportunity for nonprofit organizations. This service learning breakfast is a great opportunity for all nonprofits to find the resources that they need so that they can continue to be powerfully and innovatively compassionate. Organizational tasks such as marketing, developing technology infrastructure, creating solid financial uh, procedures, human resources require skilled individuals willing to unite expertise with compassion. Service learning opportunities provide nonprofits with the necessary skills and individuals to develop and execute tasks which can translate into thousands of donated dollars and hours of service to improve the situation of the poor. So let's continue to move around the table from the theological to the nonprofit and now government. So Declaration of Independence, one of the world's most poignantly penned documents said this about the sacred dignity of mankind. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created what? Equal. They are endowed by the creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, I'm painful to admit that when this was written, this did not apply to all men. It didn't apply to women. It took years and years and years and years of marching and war, voting, in order that this statement will become an actual reality and not just words on paper. So from the abolition of slavery to women's suffrage to voting rights and even the recent decision of same-sex marriage, the ability for men and women to flourish as a declaration of independence declared has been and will be a long journey. And so at the poor of our city, Conway, are created equal, then government at all levels must take steps to protect this sacred dignity creating an environment in which the poor can flourish just as powerfully as the middle class and upper class. So in our nation, the federal government has a mixed bag of success and failures when it comes to the poor. While I'm not specifically affirming or denying specific policies of past administrations or current ones, 
The truth is this, is that we have to see, government has to see the sacredness of humanity. That once again, they're not statistics. They're not numbers, but they are people in need. So we're a society composed of autonomous individuals, but we're also individuals in community. Yes? Right? And so it cannot be it's just about me at the expense of the poor. Amen? Amen. My preacher will come out sometime. (laughs) But it's all right. The government has a responsibility to create an environment in which not only the individual flourishes, all right, but the community flourishes as well. And so there will be times when the individual flourishes at the expense of community. There must be times where the community must flourish at the expense or sacrifice of the individual. We must determine how that happens, where the sacred dignity of men and women are affirmed, where our individualness that God has given us has been protected, but that we all flourish at the same time. And so it's a shameful thing for the nation to tell the poor, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps when you ain't got no boots. Yet it's equally shameful for the government to seize from individuals their hard income and, and property for the good of the nation when the majority of those finances support administrative overhead and not the people it's intended to serve. So I have hope for our own government, city and and county and state. Our city government needs to create policies that stimulate compassion and not stifle it through application fees and debates and tons of ordinances. Recently, we dealt with uh, trying to get a shelter open downtown. And the reality is that in our city, there is nimbyism, not in my backyard. All right? That in our city, that economics are seen as a greater importance than the welfare of an individual. What kind of city will we be known as? How can government create an opportunity where we're continually and freely able to be compassionate to those who are in need? So the poor, like all other human beings, have a desire to have profitable labor. The poor want to work. Does anybody disagree with that? They want a place to live. They want to feel safe. Just like me, just like you. They want their kids to go to good schools and have a good education and have a better life than what their parents have. Anybody have kids? Who has kids in here? Don't you want your kids to have a better life than what you have, right? For the poor, that is that same situation. And so are they not as worthy as those who live on Round Mountain, West Conway, or in Hendricks Village? So my hope, our city government can continue to create an atmosphere in which innovation, economics, and educational opportunities are available to individuals. And now to the academic perspective as we continue to move around this table. The academic institution is a beautiful place 
where the human mind can exercise theory, develop hypothesis, and produce information which can extend knowledge. Martin Luther King said this about education. The function of education is to teach one to think intensively and to think critically. As academics, I want to challenge each of you to engage with intellectual vigor to research and develop solutions which affirm the sacred dignity of the poor. Your quantitative and your qualitative approaches, your case studies, those should be means to an end, to the benefit of all society. What happens here on UCA's campus? What happens at CBC? What happens at Hendricks? What happens at all these educational institutions should be means to the betterment of society. Second, we critically engage with the current approaches to address poverty. Nonprofits and, and government's programs should be observed and evaluated. That's one of the great things about having an institution that has researchers. What would it look like to have service learning? Will they come in and evaluate your program and apply all of their educational knowledge and come back to you with a document that says, this is how we have looked at it. Here's the literature. We have researched it. Here's the data. Here are some recommendations for you. For what purpose? In order that we would better be able to serve those who are in poverty. And so this is a benefit of service learning. Faculty and students collaborating with many of our nonprofits to create different evaluation tools, different marketing tools in order to better the nonprofit, in order to use their resources to better serve those who are in need. So the academic institution can position itself to support nonprofits as innovators, to develop new approaches to homelessness, to develop new approaches to food insecurity, which impacts 19.2% of Arkansans, or 560,000 people. Imagine this institution leveraging its nursing program to offer opportunities to address health concerns or those securing teacher certification, developing new approaches to improve literacy in children and adults. All of this is available here. When we link arms together to address the needs in our community. But finally, more importantly, the perspective of the poor. If anyone around that table is to have the largest voice, it should be that man, woman, or child who is in that situation, because they know that situation better than anybody else. Their voice matters. They should be at the table as well. And so we need to invite around the table those with this poverty perspective. It is their real life experience of unemployment, of hunger, that should inform how we approach our theology, our nonprofit programming, government policies, theory development. Far too long, I think we have left the poor at the kiddie table while the adults discuss what needs to happen. So let me tell you about those people. I think of an older woman named Sheila who lives in this city, who, who serves her community as a form of public transportation since there is none. Her sacred dignity shines powerfully as she maneuvers her minivan to provide people rides, offer her van as a moving truck, and carries people to get food from Soul Food Cafe, 
Imagine the perspective that she can offer our city on public transportation. Let me tell you about Brian. Brian, two years ago, had the idea to develop a garden for the community. He came to my office, he offered the idea, and then he proceeded to mobilize some people at his sister's church. Today, Brian King's ideas led to community gardens in three different low-income areas. Uh, Brian passed away two months ago uh, due to a heart attack, but it was his idea in his community that has now led to an immeasurable impact as healthy food is able, is being provided to families in these communities that they can get freely. So I point to these two beautiful people because even though they may be economically poor, the same human dignity that resides in us exists in them as well. That means the poor have solutions. If we would give them once again the opportunity to speak into those solutions. So let's not be afraid of what they may say. They have something to offer. Yes, they may not have a GED. Yes, they may not have a college degree. Yes, they may not be able to you know, come up here and give a presentation, but they have life experience. And what we are doing here is to affect somebody's life. Service learning is a means to an end, to improve somebody's life. So let's not forget that. They possess ideas. The poor possess motivation. The poor possess creativity and compassion. Men and women like Sheila and Brian are a small sampling of the poor that exists in our city. So in conclusion, we have a variety of perspectives around the table. Theological, nonprofits, government, academics, the poor. We have a variety of perspectives around this grand canyon of poverty that exists in our city, in our state, and in our nation. These perspectives offer us the opportunity to address poverty in powerful ways in Conway and in central Arkansas so that we can become, what I think we can become, a great beacon of light in Arkansas. With this many academic institutions, with this many nonprofits in this city, with the size of this city, that as we come together around a table and say, what are we going to do together? Great and powerful things can be done. And that as we do those things together, this, this interrelatedness because of our, our sacred dignity together, this interrelatedness that, that ties us together because we are to love one another and we are to have compassion for one another and that we are to value one another above anything else, that when we access and carry out these things, we can be known as a place in which they say that city, that county loves everybody. That they have gone to such a degree that there are no more homeless. That they have gone to such a degree that food insecurity is so minuscule. That they have gone to such a degree that there's always a place for the orphan child to go. We have that 
capability. We have that opportunity. It just requires us to have the humility to sit around at the table and say, each one of these perspectives matter and are valuable, and we're going to do this together. So I want to thank you. Uh, and that's it. This has been Humanity Matters Podcast, discussing and reflecting on theology, philosophy, leadership, and nonprofits. For more information, visit our website, philipfletcher.org, or you can shoot us an email, leave us a comment, email us at humanitymatterspodcast at gmail.com. Like us on YouTube under Humanity Matters. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. If we remember to live in hope, We can do the impossible.